Wesley forgot his Arminianism when he wrote that song. It was a great hymn of the faith. If you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. We are working our way through the book of Genesis. I'm going to read this morning the first 14 chapters. I'm sorry, the first 14 verses. I've got a foot rub uh, waiting on me when I get home. I don't want to read all 14 chapters. All right, 14 verses of Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So, So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let's pray together. Father, I ask for your wisdom as I proclaim this portion of your word. And I ask God not only for your wisdom for me, but also for your people that it may um, be received as the word of God. I pray that uh, your people would be like the Bereans uh, who were noble, who uh, examined the scriptures for themselves to see uh, if what was being taught was uh, in accord with your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every gospel doctrine in the New Testament has its roots in the Old Testament. This is true of the sacraments. The Lord's Supper has its roots in the Passover. Uh, That's a no-brainer, right? In the same way, baptism has its roots in this covenant made with Abraham. 
Now I've got a feeling that there are many here who would not be willing to so readily say that that is a no-brainer. So let me ask you a series of questions. When a person believed the God of Abraham and trusted in Him in the Old Testament, what happened? He was circumcised. And then a second question. What was the outward event that represented the clean heart in the Old Testament? Well, that's circumcision. And then a third question. What was the outward sign that marked a person's entrance into the community of believers in the Old Testament? Again, it was circumcision. Now let me ask you these exact same three questions, but I'm going to replace the word Old Testament or the words Old Testament with the words New Testament. So again, these three questions. When a person believed the God of Abraham and trusted in Him in the New Testament, what happened? He was baptized. What was the external event that represented the clean heart in the New Testament? That would be baptism. What was the outward sign that marked a person's entrance into the community of believers in the New Testament? Again, baptism. The connection between circumcision and baptism is not an arbitrary uh, connection. It's not something that Presbyterians uh, made up. It's a connection that Paul himself makes. Uh, You know the book of Colossians. And one of the issues in in, in the church in Colossae was that there were these newly converted Gentiles that had come to Jesus Christ But there were Jews who were telling them that they needed to be circumcised uh, because that was the sign of salvation. And so the whole church was stirred up because of the controversy. So Paul wrote to the church in Colossae and he said to the Gentile believers in in, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he said to them, In Him also you were circumcised, even though they haven't been circumcised because they were Gentiles. He says... In Him, in Christ, you indeed have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. You see, even though they had, been, they had not been outwardly circumcised, Paul assured them that they had indeed undergone a circumcision. But the circumcision was one that was done without hands. It wasn't a physical circumcision of their foreskins. It was rather a circumcision of their hearts. God regenerated them. He took away their old dead heart and gave them a new heart in Jesus Christ. That's what Christ did. That's what it means by they had a circumcision without hands. And then Paul connects it with baptism. Um, So this was their being born again by Christ. And then they received the spiritual sign of circumcision, which in the New Testament, of course, is baptism. As we look at Genesis 17, we're going to see that God, that God um, 
we're going to see that the covenant that, that God made with Abraham is still very much in effect. Every aspect of that covenant that God made with Abraham is still in place today. Uh, it is foundational for the new covenant. Only the signs have been changed with the baptism replacing circumcision. So, let's be like the Bereans. Let's look at the text. Let's examine and see what God's Word says. Our concern for the next few minutes is going to be verses 1 through 8 as we examine the several details with which God's covenant with Abraham was constructed. And there are several of these details. I've listed them on the back of your bulletin. Um, if you want to have that as a little uh, handy reference as we uh, walk through this passage. First of all, it is vitally important to note that this covenant was initiated and established by God alone. Our salvation is a sovereign act of God. God chose to save us. Or as 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God does not owe us salvation. If He did not of His own free uh, and sovereign choice choose to save us, we would not have been saved. God took the initiative with Abraham. Verse 2, He says to Abraham uh, that... Or he says, Walk before me, be blameless, that I may uh, make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. And then verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you. And so God approaches Abraham and says to him, He doesn't ask his permission, by the way. He simply declares to him, I am going to make a covenant with you. I am going to establish that covenant. Our salvation that God gives to us is God's free unconditional grace alone. In fact, this covenant, as we'll see in verses 1 through 8, uh, included five unconditional promises uh, to Abraham. Abraham didn't need to meet any of these, these promises or conditions. There were no conditions. God simply made these promises and God unconditionally said, I'm going to keep them. So what are these promises? Um, first of all, you see in verse 2 and also in verse 6, God promised him many descendants. God promised Abraham that he would have many descendants. And this promise is also ours. This promise is ours because we are Abraham's descendants. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. We receive the promise of the Spirit because of the promise given to Abraham. We are beneficiaries of the promises given to Abraham. Furthermore, 
Galatians 3, verses 28 and 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Our salvation flows from the promises given to Abraham. Therefore, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we are Abraham's descendants, the Apostle Paul says. Every person who trusts in Jesus Christ becomes a child of Abraham. The second promise was that God promised many nations would come from Abraham in verses 4 and 5. So he says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. I contend that the Great Commission's command to go into all nations and to make disciples is grounded squarely in the promise contained in this covenant. And at the end of history, when the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the seas, when, when all the nations are glad and are singing for joy because Christ is ruling the peoples justly and guiding all the nations as it say, says in Psalm 67 verse 4, this will be happening in direct fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. The third promise uh, you see in verse six, verse six promises that kings will be uh, will descend from Abraham. Of course, we can point to the several kings of Israel and Judah. Um, that that whole line of, of of kings. We can even point to King David. But there's one king that is so great so glorious, that is so highly exalted above all those other kings that he makes all these other kings kind of fade into, uh, into non-importance. And of course that king that was descended from Abraham, humanly speaking, is the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will rule until he brings all things underneath his feet. The fourth promise is that Canaan will be an everlasting possession. This is kind of a curious promise. Uh, Abraham's descendants indeed did possess the entire land of Canaan. Under David and Solomon's rules, the kingdom was extended to its greatest uh, lengths. But today, only a small part of that uh, promised land is actually possessed by the descendants of Abraham. Uh, at least by the descendants of Isaac, I should say. However, that promise went beyond the shadow and it went to the reality. The reality of the spiritual promise. Abraham understood that this promise of the land extended beyond physical Israel. It went to the heavenly home that God was promising him. Uh, Hebrews 11, uh, 16 points that out. In fact, the whole first part of Hebrews 11, Abraham was not simply looking for a physical place. 
that he was looking for a heavenly home whose builder um, is, is God Himself. And for us, as Abraham's descendants, that promise still stands secure. In Jesus Christ, we are citizens of heaven right now. In Jesus Christ, uh, Ephesians uh, 1.14, our inheritance, our heavenly inheritance, is guaranteed to us through Christ. The fifth promise contained in this covenant is that God will be a God to Abraham and to his offspring. And this includes males and females, all of Abraham's offspring. But the sign of the covenant was only administered to the males. Uh, this promise that God would be a God to Abraham and to his offspring is the heart of this covenant. This promise has never been repealed. This promise that God would be a God to Abraham and to his descendants has never been reversed. Rather, we find it expressly acknowledged in the New Testament promises. For instance, when the people approached Peter on the day of Pentecost and they wanted to know how to be saved, what did Peter tell them? He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord our God will call to Himself. We can also point to 1 Corinthians 7.14, uh, where the Scripture, where Paul says, um, if you have an unbelief, if you have a believing parent, the children stand in a holy relationship to God. What does that mean? Well, I think that uh, is just Paul's way of saying that God has promised to be a God to to us and to our children. And then we have um, the numerous household baptisms that are mentioned throughout the New Testament. So those are the five promises contained in this covenant. Another element of this covenant is that it is an everlasting covenant. Look at verse 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. See, this... This element of the co of the covenant, this this element that that says that it is an everlasting covenant, this only confirms that the promises of the covenant are still uh, relevant, are still in existence, that they have not been reversed or repealed. This is an everlasting covenant. Um, when does an everlasting covenant cease to be in existence? Never. It is an everlasting covenant. And then the final element of this covenant is very important. Our salvation, or this covenant is a covenant of salvation. Our salvation is an extension and an unfolding of this covenant that God made with Abraham. This covenant lays the groundwork for the promises that are ours in Jesus Christ, that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, the New Testament church 
is the extension and unfolding of this covenant that God made with Abraham. That's why God intentionally says, nations will come from you. That's why God says to Abraham, kings will come from you. That's why God uh, made this covenant with Abraham. The church flowers out from this covenant made with Abraham. The church is squarely founded upon this covenant. We speak of covenant theology as an unfolding of the one purpose of God through the succeeding covenants, the covenant with with Adam and and Eve in in, uh, Genesis 3, the covenant with Noah in Genesis 8 and 9, the covenant with uh, Abraham, Genesis 12, 15, 17, Uh, the covenant with Moses in Exodus, Uh, the covenant with David in, in 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel, all these these covenants are unfolding the one purpose of God, unfolding our salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. We now live in the new covenant. We live in the penthouse, if you if you want to think of it in those terms. It doesn't get any better than this except for heaven. And the penthouse, however, the building is founded upon these other, these other unfolding covenants. The promises in the Old Testament find their fulfillment, find their embodiment in the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, the shadow becomes reality. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 9, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, God's covenant with Abraham emphasizes the sign of circumcision. We see this in verses 9 through 14. When I married my wife, uh, we made a covenant and we gave each other rings um, as as a sign of the covenant that we have made. Uh, My wife can know for certain that she's always going to be married to me because I've gained so much weight since we got married that there's no way this ring's ever coming off. <laughs> um, and when I look at uh, the ring on my wife's finger, I'm always reminded of how much I paid for it. <laughs> I'm just joking. I, I'm reminded of, of, of our covenants that we made and of my love for her and her love for me. Um, the rings on our fingers are more than decorative pieces of jewelry. The rings are symbols of our pledge of love and faithfulness to each other. And I say that to help illustrate what this sign of circumcision really is. It's a symbol of God's love for us, of His faithfulness to, to His promises. It's a sign to us that God will, pur- will purify us from our sins, that He will take away our heart of stone, that He will circumcise our hard hearts and give us hearts of flesh, hearts that are tender toward His Word, hearts that are trusting in Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a symbol that God will transform us by the power of His Spirit and make us more and more like Jesus Christ. Likewise, the symbolism of baptism signifies the exact same things. 
if circumcision and baptism are linked, just like the Passover and the Lord's Supper are linked, and the promise that God would be a God to us and to our offspring is an eternal promise, and the sign of the covenant is given to infants as well as to adults, then I believe the Bible teaches us that we must continue to apply that sign to infants as um, as it has been uh, transferred or, or changed to the sign of baptism. I have several quick applications and then we will be finished. First of all, because this is Father's Day, I want to remind you uh, fathers, heads of households. Uh, this afternoon, I'm sure your family will uh, will remind you of your privileges. Um, but I want to remind you of your responsibilities. As the head of the home, uh, as the covenant head of your home, God has called you to lead your families toward godliness. This is why God made the covenant with Abraham. It was assumed then that his family would be, um, that he would lead his family to serve the Lord. And so in Genesis 18, um, verse 19, God says, For I have chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. God has given you this call, uh, fathers. But not only that, He has also given you His His blessing. He has given you His promises that He will be a God to you and to your children. Fathers, you are not having to do this alone. God Himself has promised to help you. God Himself has promised to keep His promises to you and to your offspring. Secondly, we don't observe the sacrament of baptism often enough. It's important that we observe the sacrament of baptism. And so I want to encourage you, congregation, all of you, we need to evangelize. We need to share the gospel of Christ with our neighbors, with our friends, with our relatives, with people in the community. We need to be seen. We need to see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be faithful to His great commission. And young husbands and wives, you can do your part as well. That's as far as I'll elaborate. And then finally, baptism is a sign of the reality. Do you possess the inward reality that the outward sign of baptism um, signifies? Have you been born again? Has your heart been circumcised? Has your heart of stone been taken away? Do you love Jesus Christ more than anything else? Or will you be like that rich young ruler that uh, that we, we saw in Luke chapter 5 when we read the 
responsive reading, who went away sad, was unwilling to have his heart circumcised, was unwilling to lay down his life in order that he might trust the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly. I ask this not only of the adults, I ask the children who have received the sign of baptism. Do you trust in Jesus Christ? Does your heart belong to Him? Do you love Him? Your baptism doesn't save you. Abraham's circumcision did not save him. He was was counted righteous by faith in chapter 15, 13 years before he received the sign of circumcision in chapter 17. Baptism doesn't save a person. You can be a wet sinner or a dry sinner. The question is, do you love Jesus Christ? Has He circumcised your hearts and brought you to Himself? Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank You for this um, this covenant that You uh, made with Abraham so long ago and it becomes so foundational to us that when we trust in Jesus Christ, we are included in all of those promises and become descendants, even children of Abraham. Father, I ask that You would help us to um, remember that You are always for us, that You have given us Your great, Your precious, Your unconditional promises. And if God is for us, who can be against us? God, I ask that You would encourage the downcast. I ask that You would um, uh, cast down the pride, the, the proud. And God, I ask that You would um, so move among us that each one of us trusts in Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.